Hello, everyone. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Nick Iricchio. And we are the Movie Nice. Well, some of them. If you're watching this because you want to hear our uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and opinions about the world of movies and entertainment news, so kick back, relax, and thank you for being part of the conversation. This is a special little interview episode for you guys today. Yes, a great interview. Yes, yes. yes. We had the pleasure of speaking with Josh Rubin, director of movies such as Werewolves Within and Scare Me. Scare Me. And he is the star of the currently of the movie currently streaming on Shutter right now, uh, A Wounded Fawn and Blood Relatives. Yes, yes, yes. So we were fortunate enough to be able to interview him here on the show. And uh, he was a really lovely person. It was a wonderful interview. We were very honored to have him. It was great. And uh, before we get to the conversation, we just want to remind you guys to please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Or if you're listening audio only, please remember to subscribe to us on your audio podcast feeds as well. It's not every day that someone just tweets out, hey, book me for your podcast. You reach out and it actually works. So thank you to Mr. Rubin and enjoy the interview. So hi, Mr. Rubin. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing amazing, thank you. So we have a lot that we want to bring up to you and talk about, but before we get into that, we're having a little bit of debate before the show, and we got to throw it your way. Buy one, rent one, lose one forever. Evil Dead 2, Shaun of the Dead, and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Go. Ooh, well, it's it's a should buy one. I'd probably buy Tucker and Dale because it's the only one I haven't seen it. The only one I haven't seen. Rent it. Uh, what were the other two? Evil Dead and Shaun of the Dead? Yes. I would throw Evil Dead away forever because I've seen it so much and everybody talks about it so often and I feel bad when I bring it up. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. And then, yeah, I'd read Sean and Dead. Awesome, awesome. So uh, one of the first things I wanted to uh, bring up today is obviously the new film on Shudder, A Wounded Fawn, starring yourself. Uh, like Nick uh, mentioned before we recorded, we just wrapped it up this morning. A really intriguing, interesting kind of character study into someone that has more of a obviously darker past, darker actions, and kind of how those consequences of their actions come through, but in a very intense Italian giallo, French new wave way, especially like with uh, the 16 millimeter film, which looked immaculate. And uh, I just was curious because um, you, you obviously do a lot of acting but you also do a lot of behind the scenes directing you know especially werewolves within which i'm a big fan of and i was just curious how did this project kind of show up on on the map for you and when did you kind of first get involved it was a year ago and change it was it was last uh september of 2021 i think travis stevens the director co-writer actually sent me a dm on twitter and he was like uh would you be interested in reading a script and I, I, I knew that, that he was a really well-respected producer. I hadn't seen his previous films at the time, um, but I was intrigued. I knew it was going to be uh, not your straightforward horror fair, which was just as intriguing. I really wanted to, you know, I love playing an experimental uh, space. <clears throat> I, I like opened up the script and just thought it was totally genius. I mean, you know, talking about Evil Dead and just seeing all the comparisons too with, you know, this kind of wave of fandom that's coming in as people are absorbing it and watching it and sharing it. So many comparisons to the to Evil Dead and The Shining and um early Jalo. It's it's uh it's been really exciting. Um so yeah, he just I just cracked the script open and was just like, wow, this is this is really rad. Awesome. And, uh, you know, along with obviously not only the film 
uh, the stars in the film, but the the visual style that he brought to this film, as especially with the um, experimental bits, you know, whenever your character uh, will say is hurting in the brain, uh, the the, exper- the experimental bits in the editing, it really kind of not only maintains a tone, but it also drives forward the kind of overall messaging and emotion of that lead character. And um, were these, obviously, you know, you read the script, you want to join the project, but in your first meetings with this director, you know, was it brought up, like, how experimental it was going to be? Was it kind of discussed the direction in which it was going? Or was that kind of something that was developed along the process? Travis... You know, a lot of the imagery in the um, of the film was really actually articulated well in the script. Um, so I was able to kind of read it and uh, and sort of see the film. You just kind of knew it was going to have this in-camera practical effect kind of a thing. Um, so that was what I was I was super like especially excited about was that you know we'd be doing would be doing a film that you know was going to be kind of an homage to those early you know 70s 70s films where you could really see the filmmaking and where you know that there was going to be little to zero reliance on on vfx and again it was just i had no sense of really how kind of experimental it was going to be i knew i you know i had quite a sense of it like 70 percent but when i saw the film at tribeca like at the premiere I was just blown away just by how immersive it is. I mean, the 16 millimeter alone just takes it such a long way, but the combination of that and Ball's score um, and the wardrobe, just seeing how that like lights up the screen was just like so visceral and so impressive and just made me all, all the more proud to, to be a part of it. Yeah, no, that was definitely such a cool like aspect to it. And also just all of the, the costuming with that as well. All the, I guess, I don't want to call them creatures, but just kind of the big elaborate outfits that they were wearing. I'm sure just from an acting standpoint, being on set and just being approached by such a thing just already puts you in the headspace of, oh my God. And then uh, not to go into spoilers, but some of the practical effects or I'm assuming what appeared to be practical at the end there when uh, let's say you get a pretty good headache Oh, um, yeah, man, that was, a, you know, you know, without giving any spoilers or uh, spoiling anything, I mean, Ashley Thomas, um, one of our makeup artists, she basically, you know, she did a full head cast, which I've been used to in, you know, previous work I've done, even at College Humor, I used to get full casts of my head done. And um, uh, that's the only way to make it. I mean, there was a full bust of my head. So it was wild to just see how that was utilized so effective in the film i mean you see the thing in person it's like oh it's a pretty realistic bust of josh's head um but that you know uh uh, you have to shoot it right um and they really nailed it it was just so wild yeah no it looked looked incredible so then my next question is do you have the head I don't, <laughs> excuse me i don't have the head i think uh, my guess is that ashley was the uh the lucky winner um so that she could you know add it to her collection but it, it's sort of it's just insane how accurate the thing was i mean it had like teeth and just more like the the hair punching like it so accurately got it got the shape of my head so well and there was this incredible sculptor named dan martin who did the prosthetic mm-hmm. for the eyepiece and he works on that with a lot of like branding cronenberg stuff like i think he did possessor um, just as like one of those many films. Yeah. And so, I, you know, when I put that thing on, I was like, oh, no, this was definitely made by a craftsman because um, it looks so real and uh, was so um, it was 
pretty instrumental in like quote unquote getting me there as an actor you know you feel woozy putting the thing on because here eyesight is kind of out so we had such a and then I was just one department. I mean, every department was just like killing it, you know, when uh, they were doing their sort of solos, you know, so to speak. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, makeup team just just destroyed it. It was kind of incredible. I was say, what is a, uh, when you're getting that head mold done, what's that kind of process? Like, how long does that take about? Because I know that, what is it, like nose breathing and you got to remain like perfectly still. I'm sure that given your characters kind of, psychological disturbances being encased in a in the mold for so long probably helped a lot it'd probably be terrible for bruce if he had to do it uh just to like face the red owl for an hour and change yeah. um for me it's kind of meditative this one was probably the most uh intense experience i've had because mm-hmm. i've never had a full um like a cowl mask so what it is is this it's this essentially this plaster um, they, you know, they, they Vaseline up your face and your hair, they put on sort of a shower cap or a bald cap prosthetic, um, on your head so that your hair doesn't peek through or worse, get torn off when this adhesive mm-hmm. is sort of gooped all over your body. So you have to go shirtless, get all kind of like, you know, uh, gooped up on your head so that your head is sort of like, you know, there's nothing for this stuff to stick to just like mold to your uh, to your skin and then this this heavy cold plaster and goop is applied to your face and head and shoulders and um because they had to get an accurate cast the the goop gets heavier and heavier and heavier so it's it, it feels like this you know you're sitting in a chair but it's this extremely heavy weight it, you know at least eight pounds piled on top of your head and your shoulders oh, wow. which doesn't sound like a lot but it's a heavy compression and that's why mm-hmm. this one in particular was so intense so yeah you're sitting in the dark for <clears throat> north of 45 minutes um just breathing through your nose um no straws or anything like that <laughs> so there's a lot of people who, <clears throat> who like can't deal with that type of claustrophobia but i, I think it's pretty mm-hmm. meditative this one i had to you're right you know it was like sitting up straight and it was a lot more intensive so it was it was definitely more it was like more painful and certainly painful to get off but the result was insane yeah all that how it works kind of worked it when you see that end product oh yeah i mean when you see the end product like oh, no way that is that is insane i mean it looked like you know just the head was sitting there on the couch we put sunglasses on it and shit it was pretty fun <laughs> that's cool yeah fun little onset prop <laughs> In, you know, speaking about, you know, the most recent project in A Wounded Fawn, you know, I kind of want to take you all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you mentioned your early college humor days, uh, even going before that. Um, what was it about, you know, film, television, that whole medium that inspired you to kind of want to be both in front of and behind the camera? And would you consider yourself more of a director that became an actor or an actor that became a director? Oh, my God. Amazing, <clears throat> amazing questions. Um, I guess to answer your first question, like, you know, films were immersive and I'm a child of the 80s. And so, you know, the, there was something so like church-like about, certainly for me as a little kid, like five, six years old, going to the video store and seeing not just the horror artwork on VHSs, um, but the cardboard cutouts of everything from like the uh, the um, transference device in Cronenberg's The Fly um, to cardboard cutouts of Freddy Krueger, to also like cardboard cutouts of like Fievel in America, you know, in uh, an American Tale, um, 
And so it felt like this larger than life kind of magical vault. And so I think that was attractive. And then of course you're sitting on the floor, like on the rug, staring up at the big like Zenith TV and watching, you know, cartoons or in my house, it'd be like a cartoon movie. And then my older, my older sister would often sneak me or show me like Stephen King's cat's eye or whatever, you know, or Freddy Krueger movie. I was way too young to watch, but loved anyway. And I don't know, it was just something so, it was escapist. And I think I was a shy kid, a moody kid, and I'd have, you know, uh, nightmares and temper tantrums. And I, I was like a loner. I was just like a, you know, wild kind of weirdo of a kid. And movies provided such an escape um, for me, I think from an early age, without realizing that that's what I needed or what I craved or what I wanted. I just wanted to kind of live in it. And I became very fascinated early on about like blood, for example. I remember my mom and dad, like explaining that in Jaws, which for some reason I watched 150 times before 10 years old, um, understanding more and more of it the older I got, uh, the references and whatnot, the relationships, that, um, you know, hey, that that blood is ketchup, Josh. You know, that was like the easiest way they can explain it just so that they made sure I wasn't totally traumatized. Um, so I wanted to be a part of it just in any way that I could or immerse myself. I just knew that I was drawn in by everything that I was seeing there was something magical about popping this tape into the VHS and you know being kind of transported I think I I definitely I originally wanted to act I mean I started this whole uh my whole career was just like I knew I wanted to you know perform and started doing theater when I moved to New York I realized no one was gonna you know like hand me the keys to Hollywood or anything without kind of paving my own way and so I very early on started making my own videos with my buddy Sam who now owns College Humor slash Dropout um, Sam Reich so we started making videos and formed a sketch group and that's how I started to direct so I was an actor first that came into directing and then suddenly realized how you know kind of self-actualizing and um I guess it, immense of an experience directing is it's like it's it's more uh i'd say not cathartic than acting but there's just something kind of more powerful the the drug like like hit hits me um on a more intense in a more intense way um it's like you know the ultimate kind of form of creativity as as hyper stressful as it is and that's that's not to say at all that I, I I'm you know putting acting away by any means. I love to act because I can kind of archive other directors' processes and and make myself become you know archive that to become a better director when I you know then I step behind the camera. Awesome, and you know I think the beneficial thing about both being a director and being an actor is each experience can help complement and improve upon the other. And that as a director, you can probably, through directing, see performances, see how to communicate with actors and have that improve your performances on screen. So when you're on screen and you know how, you know, directors like to communicate and you know how the whole process works, it allows for not only more collaboration, but also more flexibility to style because, you know, every director is different. So do you find that that's true with you, that, you know, being both in front of and behind the camera improves and embraces creativity on both sides? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Because the the like the really good actors, they know they have a similar sort of skill set, I'd say, to directors and even other crew members. <clears throat> we all know the real pros are know most and are aware of their instrument, be it the camera or, you know, their face, their body. 
if you know what your limitations are visually, say if I know if I move a foot to the left, it's gonna you know fuck up your image or or just an inch to the right, it's gonna be better light on my face or I'm gonna look more ominous if I look down, but look up with my brow or whatever it is. The more control you have of your instrument, the more awareness you have of the limitations of the, of the image, the better and the more creative you can be. Um, and that's what's so exciting. It's, it's why I, I think I like Spielberg's kind of, um, or I was so, I guess, turned on from an early age by his compositions because actors were, the image was always very live, very kind of fantastical, but it was my first experience looking at tableaus where actors were allowed to kind of <clears throat> come in and out of frame and your eye was allowed to kind of do its own kind of editing. Uh, Mike Nichols was, I think, even better than that as a director. You know, look at films like Virginia Woolf and even whatever, The Graduate and The Birdcage. There's a little bit of experimentalism there, but, you know, the, the, the actors were kind of doing the work and yet the camera was, um, it was just kind of elevating the image ever so slightly, but it was so kind of performance-based. And uh, I don't know, the, and within that, there was so much kind of, freedom i think and there's an electricity about that um so yeah you you know I, I think i think the more you know about your kind of limitations the more control you have over your instrument the more creative you could be for sure and that's why i think a lot of great directors say this is true it's like you know great directing is great casting um if you can guide and mold someone who's going to do 90 point you know 90 point nine percent of the work for you and take them the rest of the way certainly visually aiding them you're gonna you're gonna you know um you're gonna have a hit every time yeah and you know something i find you know you mentioned films like the graduate is you know you mentioned how the composition and the shots not only are lively but the performances help bring those shots out and something that i found with a lot of directing is it's not necessarily about what you do with the camera and what the actor does it's about the relationship between those two things and how that can push the story forward with that relationship. It's almost a relationship that doesn't get talked about enough. And with A Wounded Fawn in particular, I think that relationship was utilized extremely well, especially towards the uh, beginning of the film when uh, the audience is sort of unsure of your character. I see a lot of the relationship between the composition, between the camera, and between yourself and your co-stars. And I think like that's why it sets the tone right at the beginning, right away, the kind of ride that the audience is going to go on. I completely agree. One of my one of my favorite uh, experiences of Wounded Fawn, especially seeing it the first time, was how Travis held on Malin Barr, his his first victim's face in close up, and how Bruce kind of falls into soft focus in the background, in the far far background, and he's he's just kind of you know making conversation with her, and you just suddenly feel unsettled. When you, whereas you know you're first seeing him in all these kind of intense crisp close ups, there's something about him kind of <clears throat> meandering the background softly where you know or in soft focus visually where you're just you immediately feel unsettled and i'm fascinated by how visuals can affect you emotionally and as a filmmaker you have to be able to communicate your feelings to your cinematographer and any great cinematographer will be able to translate that visually but um you know you will typically uh you will you will imagine those keystone images before you go into a shoot um and you can often see them if you're a movie lover and a movie watcher you'll be able to translate you know from your imagination seeing this film how 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 certain images are going to affect you emotionally and improve the narrative that that is the most 
kind of like liminal, uh, uh, ephemeral. I don't know if ephemeral is the right the right word, but there is just kind of a it, it's the kind of intangible uh, uh, talent and uh, that that a filmmaker just kind of has to have and learn. I think a big piece of it comes from being. I wouldn't even say cinephile. It's just like a movie watcher. You know, if, if you love and you're obsessed with movies and storytelling, you can just kind of feel that stuff in your bones. Um, and that, I'm just, that's what makes me just so fascinated just talking, especially with other directors and cinematographers, just kind of seeing processes. It's such a, it's such an abstract kind of idea, but it's what makes a movie great. You know, pe people like, you know, hate to use Spielberg, and especially people like Nichols and Robert Altman, they were complete masters at recognizing how, you know, the image affects you emotionally. Yeah, no, definitely very well, well said there. Um, especially with like, we kind of, we you know we make some short films ourselves here and just that relationship watching on set to try to portray that is always such an interesting dynamic to see. Uh, I, also want to talk about uh you're also promoting your other movie blood relatives um i wanted to kind of go into because you are a producer on that film correct that's correct yeah kind of just the origin of how you got involved with that project and what that experience was like working with uh, uh noah segan correct is that the pronunciation yeah he was a uh one of the te the test audience members for a Werewolves Within screening. Oh, really? <laughs> so I, and it was you know during COVID, and so mm -hmm. the, the test screenings were I was able to watch on Zoom without any of the attendees knowing that I was watching the Q and A portion. So they'd get a link, and then they'd all kind of assemble on Zoom, and I could basically spy on them, you know, lots <laughs> of feedback and and take notes and yeah. stuff. And Noah was one of them. And I was like, holy shit, that's Ryan Johnson's guy. That dude was super scary and looper. Like, he was great in Brick. Like, I, I know, you know, he's fucking awesome and Knives Out. Oh, I loved him as the the little, uh, the cop's assistant, right? Or one of the detectives. Yeah, so good. Trooper. <laughs> kind of a scene stealer, you know? I think he's a fascinating mm -hmm. actor. You know, after the werewolf screening, I just got in touch with him directly. And I was like, hey, I was spying on the screening. And I noticed that, you you know, you were here. Can I, can I give you a call and just kind of pick your brain about working with Ryan Johnson and all these kind of bigger actors and what your experience mm -hmm. has been just being like, you know, a dude who's been in whatever, 100 movies or whatever. And we really hit it off. We had a couple phone calls. We talked for, you know, an hour here, an hour there and just kind of shooting the shit. And he eventually told me, he's like, you know, I, I, I watched, I can't remember if he had already seen scare me my first film, but mm -hmm. he, he had watched it and was sort of going like, I can't believe what you did and you produced it and you wrote it and you were in it and you were directing and how did you self direct and this, and that, and the other thing. And I was just kind of going through the process explaining, you know, how that came to be. And he said, well, I have a script that's pretty dialogue driven and fairly contained. And, you know, if I wanted to do the scare me thing for myself or the Thunder Road thing for myself, and Jim Cummings was someone I talked to before I went and did scare me, um, would you be interested in producing? And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I, I would love to produce for other filmmakers. I'm not a paperwork producer by any means, but I'm a connector and I'll help <laughs> you, you know, kind of co-direct if, if, if the, the day calls for it. And we were kind of off and running. It was crazy. Like he's tight with Sam Zimmerman over at Shutter. We were able to get them the script and a budget pretty quickly. And um, it's a small movie. I mean, our budget was well south of a million dollars. 
um, but we mm -hmm. got the money and and shot the film and got it in festivals within a year. It's pretty wild. So my experience of that was, you know, for the first time in my career, like being the producer with the coffee, like behind the monitor, <laughs> sort of calling out, you know, um, things to look out for or things for Noah to look out for if he was trying yeah. to be a good partner for Victoria and all that kind of good stuff. And it was it was a pretty awesome experience. You know, I, lo I love uh, doing that, cause you, you know, especially on the, you know, where I can be super helpful for someone directing or e even for the DP, like, hey, what if you lowered mm -hmm. the camera a little bit? This is how you'd affect the scene emotionally, right? Everyone agree this, that, and the other thing. This was pretty rad. Now, you said... um kind of that you play more of a the connector type of producer i did a little uh imdb snooping obviously as as research and i noticed a little overlap with uh tv show plan b was that part of the connecting there with uh victoria morales that's that's absolutely correct so plan b was actually yeah. it was a movie oh movie sorry uh it's all good uh, it's a movie directed by natalie morales uh who's a good mm -hmm. friend of mine and i I played a similar character in Plan B that I did in, in uh, a cameo as in Blood Relatives, just kind of, you know, as Vic was saying, like creeping on creeping on her. Like, why are you playing these characters that keep continually creep on me? But we I did this scene together, you know, it was like during COVID and I drove up, I was staying at my parents' house at the time for the holidays, got this quick gig, went up there for two days and um, shot with Vic. And I just thought she was so good. I mean, both of the, the, the girls um, were, were incredible. Um, uh, Kuhu was the uh, the other actress, but there was something about Vic that was just so rad that felt right when we were talking about casting. No, it was like you know who could who could play my daughter, and I threw a few names around people that I know that might be appropriate, but we really wanted to go diverse, especially because we don't know who Francis's mother is or her wife rather, Jane's mom is, mm -hmm. and um, suggested Vic, and he and Vic got on the phone and hit it off, started chatting character, and Vic just was asking all the right questions and enthusiastic in all the best ways. And um, it, that, that was magic casting that just kind of came, you know, super quickly. And then just, just didn't know as, you know, just like with Travis Stevens, like Noah's been around the industry for so long. He's met so many actors. He already was able to rope in like Tracy Toms from Looper. And of course, Rent and 150,000 other, you know, shows and, and, and movies and stuff, mm -hmm. um, as well as John Proudstar from Reservation Dogs and, Doug Benson. I mean, it's just, it became this really, really rad cast very quickly because of, you know, he's the same kind of, kind of a person, a connector, just kind of by nature of being a creative mm -hmm. person uh, and um, just kind of playing the festivals and meeting people and vibing. Um, that's how you inadvertently kind of become a producer. So much of it is like, who can you text <laughs> to come do your thing, you know? So even if you're doing a short film, it's the same shit. Hey, can I, you want to come out yeah. and do this thing? Great, you're a producer. You know, you just your producer just makes <laughs> yeah. it happen. Yeah, and uh, I, I briefly wanted to talk about uh, Werewolves Within, uh, because you know that that film I had heard about it uh, just from a bunch of friends having watched it, and they were just like, "Dude, it's super fun. It's it's scary. It's it's you know it's everything. You got to check it out." And I was like, "Okay." When I got around to it, it you know what you were able to achieve in terms of balancing tone. And in terms of keeping the intrigue, like in keeping the story intriguing from beginning to end with characters that were all separate from one another, but also had this kind of same similar vibe in this town. It, it was such a, a well done, lovely film. And to have a film like that come out during a pandemic and end up being beloved by so many people. 
what was that experience like for you? Because I'm sure it was nerves, you know, during that really uncertain time, especially in film. You know, just what, what was that experience like for you? Well, that experience was incredible because I was working with like Ubisoft, this big video game company. We get acquired in advance of, um, in advance of, I think our debut at Tribeca by IFC. So we have all the support and, um, you know, for Ubisoft, it's a drop in the bucket to, you know, get press going and get a buzz going. This all the, you know, marketing, all the stuff that costs money. We had the same, like, the same like trailer company that did like the trailer for ready or not and the same like poster people that did the posters for knives out i mean it was so rad just to, to see all the support and also it was you know biden was talking about how by july 4th we were right like covid was going to be over and everybody's vaccinated and it felt like the summer you know we've all been waiting for like we're going to debut at tribeca and it's going to be outside and you know it just felt it felt great. It felt sort of euphoric because my first film, you know, I have to remember, I, I um, went to Sundance with with Scare Me January of 2020 with an October 2020 drop on Shutter, And there was a brief plan um, to do a two week like Alamo release, um, you know, in theaters. And we wrapped Werewolves March of 2020. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I first released scare me you know that following october um and it's a fart in the wind you know so few people have seen it because it went to went to shutter went on vod and everyone was terrified to go to the theater so we took the first deal we got and you know people were home and certainly watching stuff and it was a cozy kind of almost covid-esque movie contained movie and that felt sort of appropriate but i was nervous because i with with werewolves we were all stoked to kind of get it out into the world but we held on to it they very smartly waited to get it out um for a july for a june release and uh so that experience was pretty incredible just to go i got to go to the ifc theater in, this, in new york city and see people react and do some q a's and all that stuff and it felt incredible but you know i i, I admit i mean i think if it came out today and if people were you know as down to go to theaters today uh, or then um as they are today like down to go see barbarian and bodies 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 and nope my guess is we would have done, we probably wouldn't have, you know, shattered box office records, but I think we would have done pretty well. Um, and I, I do, I do strongly believe just kind of keeping my eye on, I know I look at like letterbox and Twitter and just kind of see when people might be posting about it or watching it. I think that in like a decade's time, the way that clue kind of became so fun and watchable and maybe even monster squad, I think it'll have its own kind of following and it's going to, it's going to take time, but I, I'm super proud of it, how it was rolled out, how it was received. You know, both movies were critically, you know, received pretty well, but I, I'm definitely due to like try and get a movie in the theater, which I know is super tough, but something splashy and funny and scary that, um, you know, I can take, I can take a similar kind of swing that, you know, Parker Finn did, you know, or Helena Rain or something, you know, I think that would be, that'd be really, uh, really rad to just kind of, you know, get one of my my pieces out to to a wider public because shutter's wonderful but it's still very niche platform yeah no i absolutely like i just um i'm a bad uh horror nerd and just downloaded it uh about two weeks ago when we got this interview just to start catching up on some of the stuff that i may have missed um but with where it was within i actually did watch that uh close to release day when it came out uh mid pandemic there um but it does have some legs though congratulations on the was it south korea that it just released in 
Yeah, very good. Yeah, man. Someone yeah. wrote me from uh, <clears throat> wildly from from Busan, a comic book mm -hmm. artist, screening here, and and people were laughing and they were jumping at the right moments and scared. So technically, <laughs> for it to like still be kind of rolling out in theaters is really phenomenal. Um, but I think that you know that will surely be the last one before it's forever VOD and and hard mm -hmm. media. It's pretty cool to get you know a box of, of those Blu-rays to be able to send to people and sign all that stuff. That was fun. Oh, that's really cool. Um, I had a question about uh, Scare Me as well. Because uh, with the, I thought the anthology kind of platform was such a cool way to tell the story, uh, especially with like the sound design and everything of it. My question was, was more of, was the idea to have that from the start or was it more of a bunch of different horror movie ideas that you decided to try to make into one sort of anthological thing? I always knew I wanted to make um, the, basically an anthology movie that never left the camp, the campfire, so to speak, mm -hmm. simply by nature of the device and because we didn't have the money to, to, to go anywhere else other than the living room of this cabin. So I cheated uh, with these vignettes by, com by compiling the, the basically act two of the film, stuffing act two with every unfinished script idea that i'd ever had so venus mm -hmm. was a script i started writing and you know hit a wall at page 33. um <clears throat> the werewolf idea was an idea i've had in the back of my head and kind of you know barely fleshed out i shoved that in there the troll thing i was like oh i you know um i'll just you know make a bunch of random shit up but you know surround it uh by making it a showcase for how i can just do this weird like squat thing um and uh and that just kind of created um it, it just created the the segments of, of of the film with the overarching energy of it or the engine of it being this this gender dynamic you know between these two characters who are sort of flawed in their own ways i don't know if that answers your question but that was kind of how it came to be yeah no absolutely and with the performances obviously like great performance from yourself uh is it aya or aya i always don't know how to pronounce it aya, <laughs> aya cash and uh chris red from snl was that a very highly improvisational set or was with the script with what you wrote with everything was that kind of pretty clear cut or was there a lot of room for that sort of play dynamic just to play off each other with you know the comedic performances you always want room to play and there was definitely mm -hmm. there was room to play but we didn't have a lot of time to play because we shot the thing in like 12 and a half 13 days something like that um so oh, wow. every <laughs> word was scripted um mm -hmm. with the exception of a few ums and uhs and you know anytime i or chris wanted to take liberty with with dialogue they certainly did and could um but it was that's a scripted movie you know it's it's essentially a play um and i that i want to adapt to stage someday and so you know um uh i think it's a big compliment when people say shit this feels like an improv movie whether they were you know kind of hating on it or, or loving on it because it's so kind of natural in that way and a testament to the performances yeah no that's that's awesome to hear and uh, you know earlier we were talking about um you know people's inkling to kind of go back to the movie theaters for horror or just kind of go back to the movie theaters in general and um, something that I ask everyone that we interview on the show, because we're, we're huge proponents of the theatrical movie going experience. And just because, you know, it's it means so much in the moment. And like I, I can tell you, like, exact places, theaters where I was when I saw a movie that really impacted me. So I just wanted to throw the question to you. Do you have any off the top of your head 
favorite memorable movie-going experiences that you'll kind of cherish with you forever? Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, so many, so many. I can tell you um, there was a movie theater by my house where I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. I think it was a Cineplex Odeon theater compound that not only was, it didn't only have the theater, but there was like a pond where people could like rent paddle boats. Inside was this small like structure with video games that that definitely included the first uh I want to say it was aliens. It was like it was like an arcade game where you could like shoot them with machine guns. That's awesome. And I was like, for whatever reason, like crazy about guns when I was a little kid. I had all these toy guns. Um, very different era, like watching Robocop and, you know, playing with Robocop toy. I don't know, I was obsessed mm-hmm. with Robocop and guns and, you know, cops and robbers. <laughs> so we go to this theater to, you know, to I remember one time we tried to get into uh we tried to get into Home Alone and it was sold out. And I think instead we ended up seeing like Aladdin. You know, like that was like one of those great days. We just think, oh yeah, you know, I want really wanted to see this one, but let's just go into this other one and being just blown away by that. But I think it was more more than the films themselves. It was this place that was like this kind of playground that that had these incredibly seminal films. Um, uh, and to my formative years, I'd say one of the most memorable ones would be going to see Terminator Two with my dad there. Um, if it wasn't the one in Hudson Valley Mall, I can't quite remember. But that was that was a really really good one. It was like we, we've gone to so few movies together, you know, maybe that and like City Slickers or something. But those those two are probably you know the most memorable. But there was just something about the place itself, that combo of like you know being like a playground for kids, but also you know just like the 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 church as a theatrical experience that was that was really special. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, you know, kind of going to the movies with the the dad, like that lone trip is also just very, I don't know, it, it, it's like a, you know, a formative memory. Like, you know, you said, mentioned Terminator 2. Uh, I remember going, I vividly remember going to see X2 with my dad. And we saw it on a one screen theater in this small town in Indiana. And it was the first time that an audience, for me, because I was really young at the time, it was the first time an audience during a movie, like, cheered during the movie. And it was when, like, Wolverine stabbed that dude through the fridge and, like, the whole theater went nuts. And I remember just being a kid being like, I didn't even know you were allowed to do that during a movie. Like, just that whole collective feeling. And, you know, I just, it's just, you know, such a formative thing. And, you know, you remember that when you, you know, go forward and your art and the things that you do, you know, you want to give the audience that feeling which leads me into the uh, the final question here. I know we're running close on time. If you were to sit down with somebody who's never seen a wounded fawn, if you're showing someone who's never seen that performance before, what is the one thing you hope that person would take away from your performance? Oh, man, that's that's awesome. I mean, I don't know if this necessarily answers the question, but I, I, I would like them to if they did know, know me or were something of a fan, and I think I'm seeing this a little bit, especially with the fans of mine through comedy, I would love for them to kind of walk away going like, holy shit, you can't pin this guy down. Um, like just, just simply thinking that was unexpected and that was good. It was like, that was unexpected and it was like, that was good stuff, you know? Um, uh, cause I, I really, really admire 
actors that you can't, you don't quite know what they're going to do next. And I, and I, I, I can confidently say about myself, just finding, you know, growing into or out of certain insecurities, being able to boast. I love that people don't quite know, you know, of, of the next things I have kind of brewing, uh, whether as a filmmaker or as an actor. And I don't really know what the next thing exactly will be. But I know that it will be a surprise for people. People go, oh, shit. Like, I love to be able to, you know, put stuff out and go like, wait, not only does he do like, you know, this impressions game show, the old college humor homies, he also directs horror uh, comedies with people like Sam Richardson and Milana Beintrobe and Harvey Dean. But he also played a serial killer and scared the shit out of me. Like, I, I love that it's kind of in different genres that you don't quite know, you know, I'm, I'm playing the psych out game. Like you don't know which exit I'm going to run for, you know, or, or, or building I'm going to run into. Like that's, that's exciting to me. And so I hope that's what people take away is, you know, uh, a bit of like, not like what can't he do, but wow, I had no idea that was in him. And, and you know, with the next thing, certainly with the next movie, I hope I can deliver on that level too, to continue to kind of go. And then he did this. It's why Soderbergh is so cool. It's like I'm I'm not even that big of a Soderbergh cinephile, but it's like wait, he did a he did Contagion, and he also did Magic Mike, and he did Ocean's Eleven, and he did this these like little iPhone movies. What? Yeah, and you know uh, whatever is next for you, we can't wait to see it. And uh, is there anything about any future projects you could tease for us? Uh, I can tell you that um, there's there's two I'm really excited about uh, that I think I can tease. The first one is um, there's a sci-fi film uh, that I think I can kind of imbue a bit of Carpenter-esque uh, gore or the Rob Boutine-esque gore too. That's really really exciting, kind of in a Coen Brothers sort of sort of world, uh, which is great. So uh, continuing that kind of you know Coen's esque sensibility that I love so much, reverent sensibility, but but really do some scary shit with some practical kind of alien stuff. Um, and that one, that one's pretty rad. There's some actors attached to it. Um, uh, I can tease that one actor attached to it is in the Marvel universe, which is really, really rad. Ooh. Um, uh, but uh, you know, it's tough out there to get financing, so that's um, that's one I'm I'm stoked on. And then the other one is uh, I'm working on something with Michael Kennedy, who who wrote Freaky. Yeah, yeah. My favorite Blum Blumhouse uh, horror comedies that come out and in some time um they did their only horror comedy uh so yeah i i'm uh i'm thrilled about that one as well those should be super fun and i think i think um i think they will appeal to you know different spectrums of the of the horror audience or at least i hope they will that's amazing here if as long as you keep making them we'll keep watching them uh thank you so much for the opportunity to uh interview you we really really appreciate it it's it's been amazing thank you very much such killer questions, by the way. So, so appreciated. It's refreshing. Thank you. Oh, that's high praise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for taking it. And congratulations on all of the success and predominantly the two releases, Wounded Fawn and Blood Relatives, now streaming on Shudder. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for watching the interview today. That's all we had for you. You got anything else for him, Nick? Uh, just remember to stream uh, Blood Relatives and a Wounded Fawn on Shudder. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you guys very much, and we'll see you next week.